All right, we are live, Business and Buckets, Episode 7. Um, Business and Buckets is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. Uh, if you are an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas, backed by over 30 years of market experience. And whether you're trying to run a 4040, lift over 400 pounds, or just enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align specifically, specifically to your goals. Head to FueledSupplements.com and use my promo code BUCKETS for 20% off. Once again, promo code BUCKETS for 20% off. Well, it's the end of football season, which means Super Bowl Sunday. I had hyped this game up, and we had talked all about the Super Bowl. We got the GOAT and Tom Brady. We got the future superstar and Pat Mahomes. And boy, was it a doozy. I had got together with my family, was super pumped about it. We made hot wings, had appetizers. And yeah, I mean, the game <laughs> the game went the way the game went. Um, I think the whole production, the Super Bowl, the commercials, the halftime show was a little underwhelming for me. Um, I'm a huge weekend fan. I just felt like he had mashed in a bunk, a bunch of his music videos into the performance. It wasn't one of those awesome spectacles that we had seen from Lady Gaga, uh, from, uh, other f- past Super Bowl performances. So I was a little bummed about that, but other way, otherwise it was all about Tom Brady. Um, I hate having to talk about Tom Brady this much as I have the past few weeks as he's come by and beat Drew Brees, he beat Aaron Rodgers, and now the Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, the weapons that, sur- that succeeded in this game were his Tom Brady-led players, the guys that he brought to the Bucks, uh, Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, and Mr. Leonard Fournette, playoff Lenny. So uh, how ironic that the guys that he brought into the team that weren't there I mean, Gronk started the year there, but that weren't there to start the year are the guys that showed up in the Super Bowl um, and ended up uh, providing the W for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, outside of Tom Brady, congrats, Buccaneers fans. Um, If you guys are loyal Buccaneers fans, I'm sure this has to feel great uh, that you guys were able to bring a championship on the home field, which is also a first time ever. Uh, But you get to have Tom Brady and the crew back next year. You know, when I look at next year's season... You know, the NFL isn't fully predictable, but I expect teams like the Chiefs to be back in the running, Tampa Bay to be back in the running, Uh, the Rams with Stafford, you know, could be a a, a threat in the NFC, Um, the Bills potentially. But I mean, we have the same group of teams that I wouldn't be surprised if we're back next next year, uh, which makes it not as fun. But the offseason is going to bring a lot of changes in in the draft. So who knows, you know, one injury can change a team's uh, season, but uh, I do feel like we will see a lot of the Bucks and the Chiefs going into next season. Um, I had talked about this being the best quarterback Super Bowl matchup ever. Um, you know, Tom Brady did his part. It wasn't a, a show of quarterbacks, though. The story really was the story that I think we even overlooked a little bit coming into the game, which was the Chiefs offensive line versus that Tampa Bay defensive front seven. What a job they did to shut down uh, the Patriots. They said that Mahomes almost ran 500 yards scrambling from that defense in this game. So that was just a crazy aspect. But Mahomes still showed out. I mean, with the turf toe, with the injury, he was still throwing off one foot, that one where he flew to the side, threw the dime uh, to, I believe, Pringle or Robinson, and it hit him right in the face mask and they had dropped it. Uh, it was a tough, a tough day for the Chiefs all in all. When I look at the game... The th- um really the- it was just a foundation of how this team had gotten here how Arians first brought on Tom Brady and let things all happen beneath him Arians is more of like a consultant to the team than the coach I feel like he just let things happen he has the go a guy who's been to so many Super Bowls so many playoff performances just let him really take the lead with the players and um, apparently Bruce Arians' first conversation with Tom Brady when he had got him over to the Bucks was, we just need to convince this team how to believe, believe that they have the talent and we could win the Super Bowl. You know, fast forward, they had ended up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, supposedly Tom Brady was texting the players throughout the week like, hey, we got this, we're going to win, think about it, breathe it, it's going to happen. 
And as everybody knows, the Chiefs were a three-point favorite. <clears throat> I think with the prolific season and just the games that the Chiefs have had, we all had to expect them just to go in and kick ass. Uh, that Tyree Combs would be too much matched with Kelsey and squad. Uh, but for me, the MVP was Todd Bowles in that defense. Uh, if you guys watch the headlines or watch ESPN, they're talking about him as well. But the schematics that they had set up against the Chiefs, for a guy who normally blitzes a lot of the time, was putting the two deep safeties over on Tyreek, which I had talked about how big of a deal Tyreek is and how big of a difference he makes for schematics. They were able to close him up and look at how much it was able to stop the, the Chiefs' uh, offense. You know, Travis Kelsey had his moments in the middle of the field when they were leaving up so much field and they were playing more to take away the big game because the game was a little out of hand at that point. But props to Mr. Todd Bowles. Bravo, Todd Bowles. Bravo. Um, a lot of people are going to blame the game on the penalties. There was a lot of ugly penalties, some penalties that were no way penalties, but you know, it definitely wasn't the penalties. A lot of those were the Chiefs destruct self-destructing themselves. Um, I feel like the Chiefs entered the game with just like normal game-like attitude and just expected to win. They had been there before, had played the Patriots in the AFC Championship the season before, and they didn't have that killer mentality and urgency, and the Bucks definitely did. Um, I feel like it was just a mental defeat by the experience of Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, and crew uh, that allowed the young players for the Bucks to perform. And you have to give props to the, the linebacking crew and the edge rushers of the Bucks. We all knew JPP and Shaq Barrett would be a force. I actually put a fun Super Bowl MVP bet on Shaq Barrett just because it was fat odds and with the linemen and everything else, you know, why not? Uh, but Levante, David, spacing, taking away one-on-one -on -one matchups with Kelsey and Devin White, who actually had... 12 tackles and an interception. What an awesome game for him. And what an amazing uh, future career this, this young man's about to have. Now, um, at one point, I was upset with the game because the way the Chiefs are playing. But you add the penalties up on top of that. It just kind of killed any excitement I had to the game. It was a complete snoozer. If you didn't uh, finish the game, I'm not surprised. But I did my due respect. I finished the game. I completed the game. Because we're talking about one of the best guys of all time, the uh, of all time, any sport. I think he's probably the goat of all goats, to be honest. And then Pat Mahomes, you gotta, you know, this is a game that I had built up and said you have to see and just enjoy the moment. Um, it's hard for me to enjoy Tom Brady's success uh, and wins, especially at this point with so many Super Bowl victories, doing it on multiple franchises. But I mean, he was an underdog. He was the guy that shouldn't have been here. He couldn't even start at Michigan. Uh, he's had to prove his way the whole way through his NFL career. And his best ally is Mr. Gronkowski, who probably was, you know, partying like a rock star after that game. There was a press conference with Mike Evans where he was talking to Mike Evans and he was like, hey, man, uh, we got to go party. And Mike Evans like, yeah, man, I'm trying to party. Got to go party. He's been there and party before. It's my first time. So, uh, you know, just a big child, 30 year old child that's out there Gronk spiking it. So it's really hard to, you know, in your deep down inside, despise those guys. But yeah, for me, it was definitely uh, one that was pretty brutal. And now we look at the most Super Bowl wins of all time. You got Tom Brady seven, the Steelers and the Patriots at six, and then obviously the Cowboys and the Niners at five. Crazy stat that is. He has more Super Bowls than any NFL franchise. If that doesn't say go, I don't know what does. Um, we talked about Mahomes' amazing throws. Um, I think he showed out, showed the heart of a champion. I am no doubt that this will light a fire under him and his team's ass. Hopefully they draft some linemen and protect him a little bit better. Um, and he doesn't take unnecessary hits this next year, but I would not be surprised if they ended up winning the Super Bowl next year. They still got Hill. They still got Kelsey defense is improving. You got to fix that lineup and I will, you know, they should be fine unless the, the salary cap is massively decreased, which is a possibility. Then a lot of teams will have a jigsaw puzzle to figure out. Um, Kelsey ended up with 10 catches for 133 yards. So you look at the statistics, looks like he had a decent game, but he had dropped some crucial passes early. Couldn't get going and create separation from the physicality of the Bucks and getting away from Levante David. And then Tyreek Hill finished with seven catches for 73 yards, which you know is around a 10-yard average, which is way below uh, the, what he's used to having. And last time they played the Bucks, I believe it was 246 yards at half. So... They were for sure exiting that out and making sure that didn't happen. 
Uh, Clyde's Edwards Hilaire finished with nine carries for 64 yards. So he ran pretty well, but they were playing backed off coverage the whole game anyways. Uh, when it comes to Super Bowl MVP, I think it should have been Gronkowski. But of course, it was Tom Brady, especially after what he's done to even have that team be in this position and mold the team to even have a Super Bowl appearance. So no surprise there. Uh, but Gronkowski finished with six catches for 67 yards and two touchdowns. I didn't bet Gronk MV, or, uh, multiple touchdowns. I believe that was like plus 800 odds. Super bummed I missed out on that. I put a bunch of props down. The only one that I ended up winning was uh, Leonard Fournette was a prop of any time score plus the Bucks winning. I think I bet 15 bucks when like 115 bucks on it, something like that. But uh, really wish I could have cashed out on the Gronk two touchdowns or more. And the Bucks combined for 28 rushes on 150 yards. You know, their game plan wasn't to chew clock away right away. You could see on third and deep and um, can't remember if they went for it on a fourth down. I think it was just a third and deep. They're making big time plays going for the conversions. They weren't going to cut things short. They were making sure that they were going to take a lead, especially with the offensive firepower that the Chiefs have and that we all know they weren't going to let them come back. So, again, bravo Todd Bowles and the GOAT Tom Brady, but I'm not going to dwell too much in this game, even though it was the Super Bowl, because it was just kind of a snooze fest. I mean, it really was. Um, if you're much of a fan like me, I'm just ready for next season to see what that season brings. And hope to God that it's not a Chiefs-Bucks rematch in the Super Bowl. I would assume next year the game would be better if that was the case. But I just do not want to see that again. <clears throat> I had talked last week about the end-of-season awards and what my predictions were. Um, I think we all knew most of the awards were pretty on pat. Rodgers did win MVP. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year was Eric Donald. You know, I'm a Steelers fan, so I'm biased with TJ Watt. But he led all but one defensive st- uh, statistical category that matters as a defensive player. When the award is defensive player of the year, I would assume that he would win, but I believe that just the odd, like inspiring aura that Donald brings in the popularity, he ended up winning it. But if we're talking about defensive player of the year, it should have been TJ Watt. And I think that was highway robbery. Um, you know, no offense to Donald. It's not like he's not a good player. One of the best defensive players we've ever seen, but he was outdone performance-wise with one less game, mind you, by T.J. Watt, and he didn't win. Uh, offensive Rookie of the Year, Herbert. Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year, Chase Young. Comeback, Alex Smith. And Coach of the Year, Kevin Stefanski. So no surprises there. Um, you know, Props to those guys, Stefanski, for turning the Browns around. The, the Chargers are going to be a fun team next year. The new coach has quite a team to take over. Chase Young's going to be a powerhouse for years. And hopefully Alex Smith, you know, gets to have another shot, but I doubt it at this point. But we had the new 2021 NFL Hall of Fame class in um, introductees. Uh, Alan Fanica finally made it. You know, he's a nine-time Pro Bowler and six-time All-Pro. He was a member of the Steelers during that 2005 uh, championship team that won the Super Bowl in 06 against the Seahawks and a member of the NFL's All-2000s team, uh, which is a huge deal. Uh, Fanica also played a big role when the Jets made the AFC Championship against the Steelers and lost. Uh, but he had, had been in, I think, four or five years and finally got in, so super happy to see him get in. Mr. Calvin Johnson, of course, first ballot Hall of Famer. Calvin Johnson being a first ballot Hall of Famer before Tom Brady retires. Pretty crazy statistical stat there, but... Megatron, Calvin Johnson, was a six-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and member of the NFL All-2000s team as well. He was a two-time receiving champion, and he had 1,964 yards yards in a season, which is the single-season total highest season single total in league history. So, you know, a lot of people, we still talking about Matt Stafford, believe that Stafford's best years was just because he was lobbying it up to Megatron. This year he's in L.A. with a new squad and offensive weapons, so we'll see if that is indeed true. But what a career Mr. Megatron had. Mr. Peyton Manning, one of my all-time favorites. Um, I would say probably top three quarterback of all time in my book, um, especially you know the players that I've got, got to see in my lifetime. He didn't have the Super Bowl accolades, but the teams that he put together and the just IQ, football IQ that this man possessed is so off the charts that he was doing things that most quarterbacks copied. um, And he led with things that 
were almost thought that were like impossible at the time. So when it comes to Peyton Manning, I think that was a no brainer. Uh, this is, you know, you got to go Tom Brady, the goat for his accomplishments, but this guy's right, you know, almost right there in my book with potential and, and the play that he had. Uh, he was the only five time league MVP. He retired as the NFL's all-time career leader in passing yards and passing touchdowns, which has been passed by Drew Brees and Tom Brady. And he was the, <clears throat> excuse me, the first starting quarterback to win a Super Bowl with two different franchises. And Manning's 55 touchdown passes in 2013 are still a single-season record. Amazing career. He has his, um, he has a statue outside of uh, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. But no surprise that he had made it. Mr. John Lynch also was introduced. Uh, Lynch is a five-time Pro Bowler and strong safety, also as a Pro Bowler during each of his four seasons at free safety. And Lynch played a key role in the Bucks Super Bowl um, back with John Gruden in the early 2000s. I mean, this guy, I remember watching him as a young adult and being a defensive player, you kind of wanted to mold your game around John Lynch. The guy hit hard. He was quick. He was physical, had a great mental game. Um, just an all around, you know, this is what embodies a defensive back in the league. So um, no surprise. His other defensive back running mate, Charles Woodson, also no surprise. I mean, this is a former Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, Woodson's NFL accomplishments include Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, nine Pro Bowls, four All-Pros, and a member of the NFL's All-2000s team. Woodson is a key contributor to two Super Bowl teams, the Green Bay's 2010 team over the Steelers, which was a bummer. But this man is no doubt a Hall of Famer. Glad to see him get in. Some other people and players that were in that I don't know as well. Uh, we had Drew Pearson and Tom Flores and Bill Nunn. Um, Bill Nunn, part of the Steelers organization and is known as more of like a super scout. Um, he helped recruit the team that really wasn't an, an NFL dynasty with, the, with the, the Steelers back in the day. And Nunn used his deep knowledge of historical black college football programs to create an annual black college All-American team. And, and is noted as one of the nation's most influential back, black uh, publications. So I, I think um, these guys are all well-deserving. Super glad to see Fanica get in there. A few names that missed out as finalists that I would assume getting in here before the, they're out of time would be Rondé Barber, Tori Holt, Richard Seymour, and Reggie Wayne. There's also Jared Allen potential there as a DN. Uh, he played at Idaho State in the big sky, so I always love to see the small school guys get an opportunity. Uh, but was awesome to see that Hall of Fame class mark their names in history. And by the way, when I went to Pittsburgh for the first time, I always as a little child had for some reason embodied this vision of a trip to Pittsburgh to see my first Steelers game in Heinz Field to be able to go to the Hall of Fame as well, which on a map, you look at Canton, it's about a three hour drive, I believe, from Pittsburgh. Well, I ended up making that the same trip thinking that the Hall of Fame was just like their golden faces and names. Like, oh, cool, this is awesome. Let's see that and take pictures. Definitely not the only thing there. They have lots of awesome NFL sports memorabilia. They have a legend center that they talk about. Um, they have all kinds of different little fun crowd engagement things in the Hall of Fame that I had no clue existed there. I think a ticket's like 16 bucks to get in. So if you have an opportunity to go to the NFL Hall of Fame, I highly recommend it. It is in Canton, Ohio, which is kind of a dump of a place. Um, not a lot of things going on there, but the Hall of Fame. But if you're in Pittsburgh, you're going to Cleveland or somewhere that's somewhat close, make a pit stop in Canton. It's a really cool place to go. Um, and was, you know, one of the bigger surprises of my Pittsburgh trip that included a Penn State game in uh, versus Pitt, crosstown rivalry game. I got to watch the Steelers lose to the Seahawks and Big Ben go out for the year. Um, but it was a jam-packed trip, and the Hall of Fame was one that I'll never forget. Other storylines, I had to bring this up because although he's not really playing, or I don't know if he's really played in a meaningful game all season, but Mr. LaShawn McCoy is a back-to-back -back NFL Super Bowl champion. He was a part of the Chiefs last year and, ironically, on the Bucks, who beat the Chiefs this year. So um, it's kind of funny to see the bandwagon of this Bucks team that won Super Bowls. You got Antonio Brown. You got LaShawn McCoy. 
Le'Veon Bell was part of the Steelers on the Chiefs, even though he didn't play. So I just thought I had to bring that up because, you know, Shady McCoy, legendary career, winning Super Bowls without much input. That's quite a way to go. Um, you know, and sad news, Marty Schottenheimer has passed away. He's seventh all time in coaching wins. Uh, the man above him is Andy Reid. He has 21 more. Uh, but you know, Marty Schottenheimer, he was one of those guys that was just involved with some of the best offenses in league history. Uh, I saw a clip on TV that LaDainian Tomlinson gave him a, gave him a shout out in his NFL hall of fame speech. So one of the legends in the league, uh, passing away, I believe yesterday or news broke yesterday, but regardless, sad story, uh, you know, rest in peace, Mr. Schottenheimer, the whole Schottenheimer family still, uh, very well involved with football. And he was definitely the one who led the way and other storylines, Russell Wilson upset with the amount of sacks and wants a bigger voice in the Seahawks front office. Uh, I don't know. I feel like the media just tries to spur shit out of people and everyone's making this a big deal. End of the day, is he getting sacked a lot? Absolutely. Have the Seahawks drafted a lot of NFL linemen to help him? Absolutely not. Do you think that they'll change this? I mean, I would assume so. But I had talked to you guys about, let's say you get a good offensive line in front of Russell. He's still going to take these QB hits because he rolls out more. Um, you know, he's trying to extend plays. And that kind of works in his favor sometimes. So, I don't know. This is kind of a lame storyline. I don't think this means that he's going to request out with this three-year, $103 million contract left. I don't think that he's going to want to leave the Seahawks. I think at the end of the day, though, yeah, he would probably like to help him improve his body. And he even mentioned that, like, some of this is on himself, but he would like to help, you know, have a bigger say in, I guess, drafting linemen or whatever that means. But um, I think this is just an overblown storyline. Um, when it comes to the NFL, I mean, we just have to, I think, give props to the NFL for making this season happen. With the NBA getting shut down, having to do a bubble, the MLB having the issues uh, that it's already having for this upcoming season. I mean, the fact that you have all this personnel and training staff for each team, the little amount of COVID cases they had, they played every single week, they didn't have to extend the season, performed playoffs, had fans in attendance, and had a Super Bowl that you wouldn't even really know COVID was going on. I mean, mass, no celebration, the, the weekend's performance. I mean, there wasn't a lot of, it looked like a regular Super Bowl. So I think that that just shows what a juggernaut and powerhouse the NFL is to be able to get this season accomplished, but doing so without too many issues, unless you're a Steelers fans. I feel like we got shafted this year, but we didn't deserve shit anyways. So uh, props to the NFL for making that happen. And before I jump to the fights, I did want to bring up this quick tidbit. If you're sick of the Alabama Crimson Tide, well, it's not going away any soon. They have seven five-star recruits in this recruiting class and is potentially the best recruiting class ever. So Saban's doing his thing. Roll Tide, roll. I'm sure they'll be in the Final Four playoff. Hopefully they expand the field in the upcoming years. Uh, but Alabama's doing his thing in the offseason, so just be prepared for that um, the next few years. The fights are back. We had another fight card, Saturday fight card, the fight night, uh, which was Volkov versus Overeem. Basically a story of a guy in his prime uh, battling through the tough divi top division of the heavyweights and Overeem making one of his last runs at 40 years old. The fight went about it how I expected it. I put a prop bet out there that Volkov would finish in the first or second. He ended up breaking Overeem's nose in the first. You could tell that he just didn't like getting hit in there. Uh, Volkov was jabbing. Great accuracy, great straight uh, jabs. It doesn't even, you can't even tell it's coming. And Overeem was just staying in the cage covering up. And Volkov would split his cover and kept smacking that nose and ended up finishing the job in round two. Um, you know, the, the, that fight was, it, it is what it is. I mean, the guy's 40 years old. He's a legend in the sport, but I did not expect him to be able to take down, take away Volkov. Um, we talked about potential Volkov matches uh, a few weeks ago. You know, potentially he could get the winner of this Derek Lewis-Curtis Blades fight. Um, but I, I don't know what Overeem's got in store. I don't know if he has any fights on his contract. I didn't look that up. But I would assume that this is pretty much close to him being done and retired at this point. Now, when it comes to the co-main event, it was a pretty quick fight, 
But what a performance by Corey Sanhagen, man. I mean, this kid is unbelievable. Comes out uh, flying knees Frankie Edgar and just straight stifles the man. I mean, he had basically lawn chair folded in half. And then his body just stretched out. His legs were told, uh, toes were curled. The camera didn't put um, video him much. But it, it seemed like it took him a while to get back up and be conscious. So... I hate seeing a legend get smashed like that. You know, Frankie's been through a lot, but I don't think Frankie's going to retire. Uh, that was just a, you get caught, you're fighting, you can get caught. And I think he'll still try to fight his way through that division. What does this mean for Sanhagen though? He said he wants a title fight. You have to give this guy the winner of Jan and Sterling, even though he lost his Sterling before. I would assume Sterling wins. He fights Sterling in a rematch and probably loses again. Who knows? Um, but I think he's well-deserved of the title shot. Um, and potential rematch of Sterling after that performance. A fight that surprised me. Um, Clay Guida fight Michael Johnson, two older guys in the, the UFC. I had talked about Clay Guida potentially needing to retire, not looking very good in the past few fights. He looked kind of like prime Guida. He was battling it out. He was grinding you out. He was putting you up against the cage. He was doing Clay Guida, prime Clay Guida-esque things that... I had no idea he was still capable of. And this wasn't no slouch. I mean, Michael Johnson was throwing bombs. I think he said it was like my, my I think he said Michael Jackson hits like a tanker, hits like a um a Mack truck, but he he took some lickings and was able to do it tough. In the post-game interview, he said that he wanted to fight somebody else besides, you know, older vets, not nobodies he wanted to say, but like give him an up and comer, give him an opportunity. Clay Guida is always exciting. He was still jumping up and down in his press conference. Vintage Guida. I, I would like to see him maybe on a young up-and-comer just to see what he can do. Um, but I misspoke. The man isn't ready to retire with a performance like that. The guy is more, like, not big and buff, but more, like, ripped than he ever had been. He had his nice six-pack going. It was, like, the littlest six-pack. He just looked like he was in great shape and great cardio. Um... I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the, the UFC gives him a couple more shots. I believe they said he had two more fights on his uh, UFC contract. So, but hey, all shout out to Clay Guida. Props to you. Love seeing you do well. And, you know, where does Michael Johnson go from here? I have no idea. Uh, that's a tough loss for him. And he's going to have to do some recovering as a mid 30 year old man in that division. The fight that I was really pumped for, though, was the rematch of Benil Dariush versus Diego Fajeda. Um, I thought I hadn't seen Fajeda before. I called him Ferreira earlier, uh, but I have. I just needed to see him in person, I guess, versus just his UFC image on, online. Uh, but that was fight of the night, one fight of the night. Uh, Dariush doing prime Dariush things, looking good with striking, mixing in takedowns with leg sweeps, just being all over you. Uh, he had... 56% of his uh, strikes landed and 62 total significant strikes. So he was just peppering the volume, doing everything uh, that he could. And he had five takedowns against Mr. Fiatta. Um, You know, the guy's a uh, black. He got his black belt in five years. I was telling you last week, he looked good on uh, his jujitsu offense and defense as Fiatta was using different submission attempts to try to get off the ground, but was still getting good submission attempts, and he was able to get him out. I can't remember what it was, either a guillotine or like an omoplata or something. He had pretty deep, and uh, Dariush was able to get out of it. So a uh, huge win for Dariush. It's interesting to see where he goes from here. You know, in the post-fight conference, he was talking about Fiatta looking very good as well. And that he hates that just because they're in the lightweight division, they're getting overlooked and get no props. When I look at the lightweight division right now, we had talked about uh, Dariush winning this fight, potentially fighting Dan Hooker, who's come off a couple losses. That would be a fantastic fight. Uh, but maybe he gets uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, who's ranked number seven as of now. Uh, they just put Dariush at ranked ninth. So, hey, that, that could be a good fight. Uh, Fieta, you know, still going to be top 15, has the likes of maybe Kevin Lee or Ally Quinta. But hopefully these guys get more opportunity because that was a hell of a fight. And Dariush is just becoming one, one of my uh, low-key favorite fighters. But let's move on from fight night and let's talk UFC 258. One of the biggest cards, uh, main 
events that I've been wanting for a long time. One of the first Fight Island fights was supposed to be Mr. Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns, two ex-training partners. Everything was fine and dandy, and Gilbert Burns had tested positive along with his, I want to say coach and brother, or coach and teammate, and um, Usman ended up taking on Street Jesus, Jorge Masvidal, in a a two-week notice fight, and ended up blasting through him as well. Um, But there's a very good card. I'm excited to see uh, early prelims this Saturday are on Fight Pass, not ESPN. I, they'll probably be on ESPN Plus, but it says Fight Pass. I was looking at this, and I'm pretty intrigued in Fight Pass. It seems like they're getting a lot of content out there. Uh, but I'm open to you guys. You know, Do you guys have Fight Pass? Have you checked it out? Do you recommend it? The problem for me is I have too many damn subscriptions, and then during the Super Bowl, there's this Paramount Plus now. There's all these subscriptions, and I feel like they're cannibalizing us, and I just don't want to keep paying for subscriptions. So... Uh, fight pass is it worth it should i make the investment because i'd love to check it out one of my big hesitancies is i had bought nfl game pass or game day that lets you watch all nfl games uh that they have tape on and i thought that'd be super cool you get super different camera angles it's like watching film uh but an nfl game is just so long and why would you really watch games back unless you're trying to analyze them i guess uh, but I didn't really use it. It was like an $80 annual fee, um, and I didn't use it hardly at all. I watched like three or four games. Um, so that makes me skeptical if I'd go back and watch fights. But fights are a lot quicker. Some fights, it's good to see, you know, when doing predictions and analyzing fights, the past things have gone on. So I might I might, I might, might dabble in some fight pass. But um, the fight that sticks out to me in the early prelims is Ricky Simone versus Brian Kelleher. Uh, this fight was scheduled a few times. I don't know if it was COVID or what, then bounced around. Uh, Simon just came off a victory of January and is fighting again, um, trying to move his way up the bantamweight ranks. Neither are ranked as of now, but this would be a good back-to-back win for Mr. Simone. Uh, Kelleher's just one of those guys. He likes taking up the young and comers. He was talking shit to Sean O'Malley before, saying, I like beating the shit out of all you... uh, uh, contender series guys and ultimate fighter guys. So it's not like this guy is going to be moving up the rankings fighting for a title, uh, but it is a tough fight for Simon. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Um, we have Bilal Muhammad ranked 13th versus Diego Lima. I think of Diego Lima as ultimate fighter back in the day, uh, looking at his previous fights. He hasn't really done much in the UFC since then. Uh, one of his best wins of late was in 2019 against another ultimate fighter, Court McGee. Uh, but neither Muhammad or Lima have a big staple win in this stacked welterweight class. Uh, so we'll see, you know, I'm taking uh, Bilal Muhammad just because Diego Lima hasn't done shit, really. Uh, but, you know, Bilal Muhammad has a quick finish here. Maybe he could move up and fight some top-level competition. Right now you got uh, Jeff Neal, 11. He's already lost to him. I believe he lost to Vicente Luque before already, uh, but maybe a, a Magni who had lost to uh, Michael Chiesa, uh, maybe a Robbie Lawyer would be interesting, or the loser of Kosmat Chemayev versus Leon Edwards. Either way, um, two good, decent names in a freaking, you know, prelim matchup. So uh, definitely a fight worth checking out. Another interesting fight is Mr. Jim Miller, the 37-year-old man versus Bobby Green, who's 34. So a couple older dudes, both coming off losses. Um, the last good win for Bobby Green was Clay Guida, uh, which, you know, isn't that great. The latter half of his career, I was talking about him potentially retiring until this last performance. But he's fought stiff competition. He's fought Dustin Poirier and lost and Edson Barboza. And then Jim Miller, pretty much the same. He has fought and lost to Dustin Poirier, Charlie Oliveira, Charlie Olives. I'm just going to keep calling him Charlie Olives from now. Uh, Dan Hooker and Anthony Pettis. So this will be a a fun fight. I'm actually doing a parlay. I picked Bobby Green. Pull up the parlay right now. Doing a six-fight parlay. Um, I know that uh, the Pat McAfee says, I'm hammering down, right? They're hammering down on their, their picks. Well, I'm hammering down on this one. I haven't felt as confident in a while. I got Ricky Simone, Bobby Green, Macy Barber, Kelvin Gastelum. Um, 
Jimmy Rivera and Kamaro Usman. We'll get to those other fights in a second. Uh, but I'm taking Jim Miller and or Bobby Green in this one, just the younger aspect. You know, Jim Miller lives a lot on the ground and in a submission game, so I'm going with Bobby Green on this one. Should be a fun fight, though, in the prelims. Moving on to the main card, we got Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Heinischke. Not sure how you say his last name. Uh, but really the tell of this one to me is this is Gastelum's one last chance to make another good impression, and he's got to pick some steam back up. You know, he had lost the unanimous decision to Izzy. Was a tough five-round fight, though. Pushed Izzy further than most people have pushed him. Then he lost to Jack Hermanson in his last fight by a heel hook. Kind of got caught there. You know, I would expect a potential rematch there. And then he had a split decision loss to Darren Till, which was also another good battle. Um, he's beat Souza and Bisbing. So, I mean... This is kind of his last chance to make a run at it to see if he could be it for a title contention. He switched camps, so we'll see what happens. But I'm taking Mr. Kelvin. Um, you know, he wins this fight. Maybe he could get a shot upper in the division. You know, he's fought a lot of those guys and lost already. But like I said, maybe he gets a rematch against Jack. Uh, potentially he could get the killer gorilla, Jared Cannonier, who's ranked at third. Uh, but maybe even the winner of this Brunson Holland fight that's coming up. But he needs to get a couple good wins and get back in the title contention. I believe that he will. Um, and this is the first fight to do so. When I look at uh, Heinz, I don't think that he's really had a big staple win in the UFC yet. Um, but this will be a big win for him if he can get past Gastelum. We got Macy Barber versus Alexa Grasso. Barber was a big-time prospect. She's only 22 years old. You know, she reminds me of the hype that Amanda Rebas just had before she took her loss. Um, Barbara had lost to a wrestler in her last fight. She tore her ACL, which is why she's been out for a little while. Uh, but that was her first loss. I expect her to take care of business against Grosso. Grosso's kind of a tough veteran, though. She's lost to the likes of Felice Herrig, Tatiana Suarez, and Carla Esparza. Those are all pretty tough-knit women. Uh, so we'll see if Barbara could get back on track. I know that she's been huge after the Contender Series, and Dana White thinks quite highly of her. And then, did I not cover? I think I missed the Jimmy Rivera fight. I'm going to put it on here. How, what a shame. I got so excited to talk about the main event, I didn't even talk about the Jimmy Rivera fight. Well, I got to talk about it. Or is the Jimmy Rivera fight not even on here? Well, excuse me. The Jimmy Rivera fight isn't even on here. Unless. <sighs> I really wish UFC wouldn't fix their damn website. They don't have fights on there half the damn time, and none of them are official until the last second. But yes, the Munoz fight um, is not on here. So, excuse me on that. We got the main event. We got Kamara Usman. We got Gilbert Burns. Whew, I've been thinking about this fight for a long time. And as much hype as it got, it's gotten, to me, it's like the what ifs. Like, oh, shit, what if this does happen? What if this does happen? Because to me, I think these guys know what's going to happen. I mean, these guys train together. When you train together, I've wrestled. You know who is the better wrestler. When you fight and spar someone as much as they do, have done and as good as friends they are, they know who's the better person. Neither of those guys have dropped off a cliff or lost peak performance since then. They're still on the incline. So um, I believe deep down, one, these guys know who's, who's going to win, and they're going to have to throw some crazy shit in those what-if scenarios to make a win happen. And even D Daniel Cormier was talking about, you know, hey, when I trained with Kane, I knew who was better. You see these other old training partners and other gyms, they usually know who's better. The Cody Garbrandts, the, the TJ Dillashaws, you know, the things that have came through that. But um, it's going to be a good fight. I mean, this is Usman's, one of his last attempts to put respect on his name. A lot of people are like, hey, he's boring, yada, yada. A lot of the similar traits that GSP got when he was on his continual reign um, and champion holder. And if I could think of a close comparison to GSP, it really is Usman. These guys are very similar fighters. Uh but we all know what Hoosman's done. He's a monster, man. He he destroyed Tyron Woodley when Tyron Woodley seemed unbeatable. He destroyed Covington in a five-round fight, broke his jaw, TKO'd him. He's a tough son of a bitch. And then he beat Street Jesus on short notice. You know, Burns looks really impressive. He's becoming a fan favorite of, of late. 
I'm just not quite as high on him as everybody else. He's lost to a lot of people. Um, he's gone through different divisions. He's lost to Dan Hooker. Um, he's beaten Alex Oliveira, Mike Davis, Gunnar Nelson, Damian Maya, and Tyron Woodley. Like Damian Maya in the prime Damian Maya days was a good fighter, but a, a guy that's more of a jujitsu submission artist against a guy like that. Like, I don't know. I don't think that's that big of a win. So, I'm going with Usman. I think Usman's going to win in a decision. That's typically his style. I think if he really wants to shut up the fans, he'd, he'd get a finish or a submission here. But I think uh, Burns is going to know him too well for that to happen. What the hell happens to Usman after this? You beat Burns. You beat Street Jesus. You beat Covington. You beat everyone in that damn division. I don't know what they're going to be able to do here. But I think what happens is he gets a super fight. Why the hell not move him up? The guy's huge. I mean, he's cutting massive weight. You can't tell me he can't move up to fight middleweight. And if not, maybe, hey, uh, I know GSP's biggest concerns on the Khabib fight is weight. Let's, let's, let's see GSP and Usman. Give this guy a super fight. Give him some respect. That's what I want to see. But that's this weekend. Can't wait. Next week, we got another fight night card. We got the Derek Lewis versus Cur Curtis Blades fight. Regular evening time on ESPN Plus. And then there's one more fight night before a massive, I mean massive 260 card. Three title fights. I'm super pumped for that one. Let me pull it up real quick. Just give you guys a glimpse if you haven't looked. We have a super fight. Jan Blakovich, the Polish hammer versus Izzy, Israel Adesanya. We got the lioness Amanda Nunez versus the Twitch pro Megan Anderson from Australia. And then the bantamweight title shot Pewter Jan versus Aljamain Sterling finally happening as that's been postponed a few times. But hey, that's a huge fight. We got fights continually rolling throughout the year. Um, I saw Vegas just approved March fighting in Vegas. So it looks like there'll be no issues in the apex, even though Biden's in chair. But hey, other fighting news, Paige Van Zandt lost her debut on Bare Knuckle Fighting. She actually fought pretty well. I didn't watch the fight, uh, but she she fought a, a pretty good fight, posted on Instagram, you win, you lose. You know, she's out there for money grabs anyway. She's been on Sports Illustrated. She just wasn't cutting in the UFC. And now supposedly she has a private page for exclusive content, whatever that means. But yeah, she's on her way down if she can't win and that that fight promotion and then bellator i'm not a huge bellator guy i told you about michael chandler like i didn't know a lot about him i don't watch bellator fights uh, but they have a light heavyweight tournament they just announced on showtime in april and this one is going to get my attention you have the likes of ryan bader yoel romero Corey anderson phil davis anthony rumble johnson all in that division and the very first matchup in the first round, Rumble Johnson versus Yoel Romero. You can't tell me that that's not excitement and fireworks and that you don't want to tune in. Big things going there in the light heavyweight tournament for Bellator. So I'll be tuning into that. But quickly, let's transition to the NBA and talk ball. Yeah, so quickly before we chat NBA... I just found out that Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera's rematch, which I was really looking forward to this weekend, got pulled off the card. Seems like a uh, positive COVID test seems to be the culprit. So uh, that's where the confusion came there. I was like, wait a minute, that was on the card. What happened? Um, so that is now pulled off. Hopefully they get something to fill because that was definitely a fight I was more pumped about on the card. But anyways, like I said, we're moving into the NBA the NBA is really catching momentum. Football season's over. We'll be diving more into this. I'll be doing an updated rankings. And just give me the content you guys want. What teams do you want me to cover? I know last week we talked about the Hornets, the Mavericks, and I believe the 76ers. Or no, the Nets. But, uh, I mean, let's look at the Hornets quickly. They're on a roll. The Mellow Ball's on a roll in the starting spot. His past three games... Against the Rockets, he was 24 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. Against the Wizards, game before, 19 points, 5 assists, 7 rebounds. 
And then against the Jazz, 34 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds. So, I mean, the kid's, what, 19 years old. Looks like he's got locked in Rookie of the Year unless he just falls off of a cliff. And hopefully the Hornets keep him in the starting lineup. I talked to you guys about moving Terry Rozier to the sixth man. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But the Hornets looking good. They battled a tough and healthy 76ers team last Wednesday. They ended up losing by seven points. And Bid finished with 34 points. And Gordon Hayward finished with 22. Um, but right now in the standings are 12 and 13. Sixth place in the Eastern Conference. So, yeah, they're battling in the midst of it. If it was playoffs today, they'd play play the Hornets, uh, or excuse me, play the Nets, which would not be a very good matchup. But uh, they're a fun team to watch. For me, is almost must-see TV. On the other end, uh, the fifth seed, Indiana Pacers, looking a little rough, falling flat. Uh, three losses in a row to the Jazz, the Pelicans, and the Bucks, And then they play the Nets next, which is definitely going to be a tough matchup. Um, but they've been healthy. They got their players besides obviously TJ Warren. I have not heard any updates on what's happening there. And then they traded for Karis Levert who had the kidney mass, uh, cancer issue. And I, I mean, maybe he comes back this year, but I wouldn't expect that to happen. Uh, so the Pacers definitely need to get their ish figured out. You know, Miles Turner's having a career year there, but maybe the Sabonis Turner thing's not working and they need to, uh, put in a, another guard or wing player for that rotation. How about the Kings? The team I did not expect to be talking about with momentum is the Sacramento Kings. They are currently 12 and 11, sitting seventh place in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, but they had big wins this past week over the Clippers on the road without Paul George, uh, the Nuggets and Celtics at home, and the Pelicans on the road. So I mean, four or three playoff teams and the Pelicans, who are only 10 and 12, but are a tough offensive firehouse. Uh, that I would expect to improve more and more as the year goes on. So big schedule, big momentum booster for the Kings. Lots of players stepping up with this momentous charge. De'Aaron Fox, one of the hottest players in the league right now. Harrison Barnes looking great, doing good facilitating the ball of late. Uh, Buddy Hill, some on and off games. And the rookie Tyler Halliburton that everyone's coming to love, having a big impact for that Kings team. You know, I don't see the Kings shooting up the rankings and making power moves, but hey, you, you get a playoff spot. That's a big win for, for Sac City. So interested to see how that turns out. Uh, the Warriors took it to the Mavs last Thursday. Uh, we had talked about how crucial of a position the Mavs were in, having to build momentum and prove that they're a playoff team, especially against Western Conference opponents. The Warriors are out of the playoffs right now at 12-12, and 12, and the Mavericks are a game and a half back of them at 11-14. and 14. Uh, tough loss to start the weekend. Kelly Oubre Jr. with 40 points in that game. Shout out Kelly Oubre uh, doing his damn thing all around the court. Uh, that day, last Thursday, the Lakers beat the Nuggets as well. LeBron James triple-doubled, looking good for the Lakers against a tough Nuggets team who's been on a roll lately as well. And then the Jazz tonight, actually. The reason I'm recording this right now, I can't miss that Jazz Celtics game on ESPN, baby. It uh, looks like Jalen Brown's questionable and Mike Conley's still out, but they'll be going for five straight and are first in the league standings and first in the ESPN and Bleacher Report power rankings for the first time this season. So we're getting some props, getting some notice. Uh, can't wait to see what happens uh, in the postgame interviews when the Jazz win and they have to interview the Jazz. Um, but Spider Mitchell been stepping up, playing more of a point guard role, and then Jordan Clarkson, sixth man of the year, front runner, doing his thing as well. Elsewhere, the Celtics squeaked by the Clip Clippers without Paul George. I haven't seen a return timeline for him, so that's interesting. Uh, but Tatum had 34 that game, and the Claw had 28, so that was a, a good game to watch last week. The 76ers whooped the Nets without Kyrie and easy money sniper Mr. Kevin Durant. Um, you'd expect that with two of their big names out, but hey, you know, low-key, they keep winning. The 76ers have a game advantage against the Bucks and two and a half over on the Nets. They're sitting at 17 and 7. The Mavs did end up getting revenge to the Warriors on Saturday. Uh, they played two games in three days. Luka just put the team in his hands. 42 points, 7 rebounds, 11 assists. What a game by Luka. Um, he knows it. That team knows it. They got to get their shit turned around quick or else they're going to find themselves outside the playoff position. Well, they do have the 7 to 10 play in, so I'd imagine they make that regardless. But. 
do you really want to play a plan or do you want to get six or higher? So uh, they better get their shit together if they want that to happen. Uh, five, four, five, and six as it stands is Suns, Spurs, and Blazers. Other games last week, the Bucks beat the Nuggets, um, and the Greek Freak had 30 points, and Nikola Jokic, MVP candidate, had 35. Loving Jokic, doing double-doubles, triple-doubles on most nights. Uh, he's in my fantasy team, so keep it going, Nikola Jokic. Uh, but that was a big game for the Bucks to prove that they could beat quality teams. The Bucks on a little bit of a roll right now after I had trash-talked them the week before. They must have tuned into business and buckets. <laughs> uh, but they had beat the Nuggets on the road, the Cavs twice on the road. Who Cavs are playing pretty good ball right now. Sexland's doing their thing. Uh, the Pacers and the Blazers. And pretty handily, I mean, these weren't small wins. So they beat the, the, the Blazers by almost by 28 Beat the uh, Pacers by 20, beat the uh, Cavs 20 or more both times, and beat the Nuggets by 13. They played the Suns this week. That'll be a good game, but uh, Bucks back on track to where we all expected them before the season. I said I think Drew Holiday just needs, needs more time on that team, but they need to have another playmaker as they have DiVincenzo in the starting lineup not putting up big points, and their bench play has been pretty lackluster. This upcoming week, tonight, I said we got Jazz versus Celtics, TNT. Super pumped about that matchup. Uh, we got 76ers versus the Kings next, uh, on to, uh, Tuesday as well, um, which is tonight. Bucks versus Suns on Wednesday on ESPN. That'll be a great game. Uh, the Bucks looking good. Let's see how quality the Suns really are and what they can do. Uh, they look to be healthy in that matchup. Uh, we have Raptors versus Celtics and 76ers versus Blazers on Thursday. Um, Jazz and Bucks on Friday. couple big games for the Bucks this week. This is really going to be the gauntlet part of the schedule, first half part of the schedule for the Jazz to see really what they're made of. They got home games versus the Celtics, the Bucks, the Heat, and the 76ers. Then they have back-to-back -back road games, two games in three days against the Clippers. Will Paul George be there at that time? Who knows? But if they come out of this, poof, let's see, four wins, I mean, that's a huge, I mean, that I think that would prove to me that they're contender quality, uh, but they split it, you know, that would probably be normal. Uh, but most games at home, you'd expect them to get some victories there with fans in attendance. But this will be interesting to see what the Jazz are made of, and it starts tonight on TNT. Pelicans versus Mavs on Friday. That's on ESPN. Two young teams, great offensive firepower. That's must-see TV. Uh, Thunder versus Nuggets on Friday as well. And then going into the weekend, again, no, no football, no college football, no NFL. Basketball is really taking over as the main sport until baseball begins. This Saturday, we got some games on primetime. 76ers versus Suns again on ESPN. And then Nets versus Warriors. Primetime ABC game. That's going to be a blast. Steph Curry uh ideally all of the big three with the nets will be playing i know easy money snipers dealing with some covid restrictions but that would be an awesome game and then coming rounding out the weekend coming into the week we got mavs versus blazers on espn that sunday lakers versus nuggets again if you watch the last lakers versus nuggets game it came down to the last few minutes and the lakers uh took it away but that's a great matchup watching Jokic do his thing uh heat versus clippers on monday on NBA TV and Nets versus Kings. Kings, can they keep it rolling? Uh, before the podcast next week, we got Nuggets versus Celtics on Tuesday. Man, Nuggets got a, a little gauntlet of a schedule themselves. Raptors versus Bucks and Nets versus Suns on TNT. So, a lot of good matchups that will dictate standing uh, potential, seeing who's legit, who needs to improve um, as we get near the second half schedule. I haven't seen any announcement on when that's going to be announced, but I'm super excited to see who teams play, what's going on, because there's a lot of this two games uh, against the same opponent in three nights, which is pretty interesting. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of splits on it, but um, it's interesting. You really get to see how you match up. It's like a little mini series. Moving on to college basketball. I thought the postponed games were getting better, but quite a bit of them. Some of the better teams, especially Michigan, having COVID issues. Uh, Baylor just announced their next three games are postponed due to COVID, which is a total bummer. You look at the scheduled games, and there's all these 
ideally good games that aren't happening. Um, let's see. I can pull up a couple real quick. Big days in college basketball, usually on Saturday. I go to Saturday. Postponed games include Texas Tech number seven versus Baylor number two. That's a huge game. We have Illinois versus Michigan that would have happened this Thursday. That's a huge game. You get my point. We're missing out on very good basketball. I hope this shit gets figured out. It's hard in college, though. You can't keep college kids tame. I've been there. I was a college kid. You were a college kid. You guys get it. To me, though, I mean, we talked about the upper echelon of the teams, but the Blue Bloods, I'm enjoying it. Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke. Duke has a losing record. Kansas outside the top 25. Villanova last week lost to St. John's. Like, St. John's? I would have, someone could have asked me to bet like 500 bucks that St. John's don't beat Nova, and I would have said yes. Of course, Nova had some COVID issues. They were just coming back, potentially had some tired legs, but St. John's pressed the shit out of them all game and pretty much handled them the whole game. Uh, so that was a big surprise. Houston lost. We talked about Houston being high in the rankings, which we weren't sure if that was legit or not. Um, they ended up taking an L to East Carolina. You know, they had won out. They possibly could have got a really high seed. I believe, yeah, they've only dropped a couple spots, 16 and two. They're at eight in the rankings still. So they're still there. I just don't know how quality of a team they really are. Uh, Creighton lost to Georgetown. Creighton, like I said, is pretty overrated. Keeps losing. Uh, Missouri beat Kentucky. Kentucky still losing. Ohio State beat Iowa on the road in a snowstorm. That was a great game. Um, I feel like Ohio State showed that they're a legit potential for a one seed in the tournament with that win. They slowed down Garza. Garza's just looking that hot start he had at the beginning of the year. Teams are either figuring him out or I don't know what it is. But I didn't see him in the paint in that game. He wasn't shooting threes, and he was just kind of like rolling around the elbow. He just looked confused. So Iowa looking a little sloppy. I thought should have won that game. Uh, But big win for Ohio Ohio State, staple win for them. This past week, Texas lost again to Oklahoma State, who was outside the top 25. They have the potential first number one overall pick in Cade Cunningham. We had talked about how this could be a big, huge momentum for them. In that game, he was 19 points, 8 rebounds. You know, there's like spurts through the games that I've seen of Oklahoma State that he takes over. Why not just take over? Boost your stock. Make the team win. Like he's being a little bit too much of a team player. So I want to see him exert himself early and take over. And that showed um, in their later game this week that we'll talk about in the second uh, but Andrew Jones for Texas, that game shot two of 13 Shaka smart. said that was his best shooter. The offense will overall evolve around him. Well, when you shoot two from 13 from deep, that's a lot of shitty offense. The rest of the team didn't really help him offensively. They need outside points outside of him. Uh, and I'm just not seeing where they're getting them. So Texas in a struggling moment as of now. Uh, but I still think they're one of those upper echelon teams and you know, you're just battle tested on that Big 12 conference. It's one of the tougher conferences I've seen in a long time. Reminds me of the Big East when the Big East was legit. Last week, Missouri beat Alabama. That was a battle of, in my book, two overrated teams to see who the most overrated team was. Um, you know, not surprised Bama lost there. I just don't think they're that good. Um, this upcoming week, though, we do have some good games, even though there are postponements. We, um, oh wait, excuse me, we're not to the upcoming week yet. Missed a couple. Illinois beat Wisconsin this past week. Uh, you know, I'm a big Trice guy. I've always enjoyed him. He was the only one that really did much that game. He finished with 22 points. And Kofi Cockburn just dominated 23 points, 14 rebounds. This kid's been looking good. Illinois is looking good themselves. They are currently ranked six ahead of Texas Tech. Uh, West Virginia beat Kansas. Like I said, put Kansas outside the top 25. Uh, Miles McBride came out of nowhere, uh, 31 points, um, seven rebounds, seven assists, and was four from five from deep. Iowa lost again to Indiana. They had 11 turnovers. Like I said, chemistry looking to be an issue. Um, we had Drake who was ranked in top 25. Uh, one of the small school, small school schools that looked fun to root for. Uh, they lost by almost 20 points to Valpo, Valparigio. Um, 
that conference is basically up for grabs. We now have Loyola Chicago ranked at 22. They were a March Madness underdog. I believe it was either Elite Eight or Final Four a couple of years ago. Um, Kansas ended up beating Oklahoma State this week, this past week. Um, just proving the young Oklahoma State that they're not out of it yet. The Big 12's here. They're here to play. Um, but like I said, for Cade Cunningham, he took over when the game was almost out of, out of it was like 10, 11 points. He was hitting shots and, and you know, made a, a, a late charge. But it's like, why aren't you doing this at the start of the game? You got to put your team in a position to win. If you really want to get that first overall pick, like uh, assert yourself. He just isn't aggressive. I want to see that aggressiveness from him, especially in that deep, Big 12 conference, he's going to have to perform. And then West Virginia versus Texas Tech. Nope, that was a postponed game. Excuse me. Anyways, now we're on the upcoming week. Upcoming week, we got Iowa versus Rutgers, who's now ranked 25. You know, I don't believe much in Rutgers basketball, but hey, it's cool to see them at 25. Iowa needs to show and return that dominance that we thought they had. They're in my upper echelon teams if they want to get a one or two seed in the tournament. Uh, right now, they are all the way down to 15th in the rankings. They went down seven spots. They have six losses on the year, which is the most besides Wisconsin and Purdue and Rutgers in the top 25. So huge game for Iowa. They need to handle business here. Uh, this Saturday, Villanova plays Creighton. This is a big game for the Big East standings. I would imagine after the loss and sour taste that Jay Wright and squad has that they'll handle business. Um, Loyola Chicago, the new top 25 team in the same conference as Drake, plays Drake on Saturday and Sunday. So that'll be a big game, big games in that conference uh, to see if they could battle their way into a tournament position. Oklahoma plays West Virginia. West Virginia lost the first matchup against Oklahoma. Uh, guy off the bench, Amoja Gibson, had 29 points and was 8 for 11 from deep. So I highly doubt they're going to let that happen again. I would expect West Virginia to win the rematch. And then as of now, Michigan finally coming back into action versus Wisconsin later half of the week on Sunday. I'm excited to see Michigan go back. Um, just like Villanova, though, it's hard to assert yourself right back on a tough Wisconsin team who already has six losses and trying to prove themselves uh, within the standings and tournament play. Uh, so that's going to be a big game on Sunday. And then rounding out the week before the next Business of Buckets episode eight, we have Virginia versus Florida State and Texas versus Oklahoma on Tuesday. Now let's move over to baseball. The stove's kind of closing down. Most of the big names have signed. The man, the myth, the legend, Trevor Bauer, goes to, drumroll, the Dodgers. I freaking hate baseball sometimes. The rich get richer. No surprise there. I should have saw it coming the whole time. But golly, the team that won it all gets the best free agent. Typical baseball. Uh, Yadier Merlina re-signed with the Cardinals. Probably be his last stint. A few other small free agent signings. But really the news in baseball is the new uh, agreement with the MLBPA uh, really saying that vaccine is not going to be required in the new protocol. There's no universal DH, which is so dumb. I really wish it wasn't a one-year test. Um, I think that it was great for baseball, but they are sticking to a couple, you know, COVID-related things they had last year. Uh, they're going to do seven-inning doubleheaders when there's, you know, makeup games and doubleheader action. And in extra innings, they are going to keep the base runner on second, uh, which I know had a lot of mixed reviews. I don't mind it too much, uh, to be honest. I enjoy that more than the seven-inning doubleheaders because uh, it takes a lot of the bullpen out of it. Um, and in extra innings, it just leads to more exciting games, and we don't have games that are tied until, like, the 18th inning. Um, spring training is supposed to open up on schedule February 17th. The season's officially going to be starting on April 1st. Hopefully those things happen without a lot of hiccups. Um, it doesn't look as of now like they're going to do the expanded postseason, uh, which me, being an Angels fan, I'm probably shit out of luck <laughs> with the Angels making the playoffs. So another Mike Trout year down the drain, unless some crazy shit happens. Uh, but I'm a little bummed that there's no expanded postseason. And supposedly they're changing the baseballs again. Uh, they've gone through a couple baseball changes of recent. Um, this year they're saying that just they're trying to get rid of the home run, more dead balls, 
you know, I don't know. I got to see the balls. I got a foul ball one year and a home run ball one year. One year, the ball was way less grippy and had tighter laces. Um, you know, there was more home runs that year. So we'll see what they do. But I, I don't know. You can't change the damn baseball every year. You know, like roll with it and just stick with it. Can we please just stick with it and not keep changing it? I hate then there's going to be all this about inflated numbers and a bunch of baloney. Just stick with what you got. But that's pretty much sums up baseball. We're going to finish with Supercross. You guys know I love me some Supercross. This was the third race in Indy. Um, the 250 race, pretty straightforward. Christian Craig got the W. Uh, Joe Shimoda with his best place yet. The young man for the Kawasaki team with a second place finish. Colt Nichols with the third place. The guy who's leading the points started in 22nd and knew how crucial a good podium finish was and battled all the way to third. Some impressive race by Colt Nichols after a bad start. Uh, my boy Jet Lawrence finished in fifth. So the point standings in the 250 class now stands. Nichols in first with 143 points. Craig second, 137. So we do have a, a closer top two now that Christian Craig was able to take the W. And then Shimoda in third at 119 and Lawrence in fourth with 102. So it's basically a two-man race this far in the 250 class as we go to the first race in Orlando this coming Saturday. In the 450 class, my boy Ken Roxon looking great in the heat. He took the heat victory. He was in the same heat as Eli Tomac. He took the whole shot in the main event and never gave up the lead. You know, these tracks are really hard to pass up on. Uh, Ken got first, which is his third victory in a row. Last podcast, we we're just talking about how there hadn't been a back-to-back -back winner. He's got three in a row. Uh, Cooper Webb finished with second. Muscan third. Two KTMs on the podium. Malcolm Stewart finished with fourth. AC Adam Sorensarulo with fifth. Uh, previous winner Jason Anderson sixth. Last year's champion Tomac with a tough seventh place finish, and the rookie Frandes rounding out in eighth place. So as the points stand, we got Roxon in first with 138 points, opening up his lead in Webb, who's in second place with 122, Tomac third with 114, and then his Kawasaki teammate AC in fourth with 105. So still a pretty tight, you know, top three. Roxon definitely spreading his lead. Webb and Tomac are going to need to get some dubs to try to catch up, but the 450 a little bit more. Uh, closer and tight knit than the 250 as of now. So, like I said, this Saturday, race in Orlando, NBC Sports. And then the next Saturday, they're doing the second one, no Tuesday race in between here. So, we'll keep you updated on business and buckets there. That's it for our show this week. I know I didn't drive into a lot of the Super Bowl, but hey, it was what it was. It was just kind of a, all this build up, all this anticipation just for a crash and, and, and a game that we got to see. But hey, um, we're going to be diving a lot more into basketball as football season's over. We'll start doing some content and categories, start doing, uh, my new categories that I want to discuss with you guys. If you have content, you want me to dive into more fan feedback, the more content I can cover besides my weekly recaps and previews, but lots going on in the fight world, excited for baseball to kick up, even though, you know, I'm not too stoked about the Trevor Bauer Dodger situation. But, hey, sports is sports. We'll have content, business and buckets. I'll be doing some clever deep dives on specific teams. So we'll be coming at you next week. And we'll have business episode two with Brad Federson. Uh, he runs his own painting business here in Seattle on the 24th of February. So we'll be having two episodes at the end of this short month on the 24th of February. Uh, but don't forget, we're sponsored by Field Supplements, um, local supplement company, doing really well. I uh, love you guys to support them. They have all kinds of supplement needs, whether you're looking for multivitamins, field greens, they have multiple pre-workouts, pre-workouts for women. They have protein, you name it. Use business code buckets for 20% off. See you guys next week.